This is a Warwick's author, and I hope you'll sit back and enjoy it. And don't skip the ads. Don't skip the ads. I'm kidding. There are no ads. We only have like the outro. and. Well, our ads are good, though. It's Warwick's, you know, support local. Again, the San Diego Writers Festival, which, you know, the whole point of the premise is to bring industry leaders and book authors and publishing experts to you. So, yeah, the ads are important. Yeah, San Diego Writers Festival. All right. Until next time, enjoy this interview. This is such an honor, Peter. I love this book, The Guide. It's actually fantastic. We'll talk more about it. I'm going to introduce you officially. I'm going to read your bio so people know a little bit more about you, and then we'll talk about it. Peter Heller is the national best-selling author of The River, Celine, the Painter, and The Dog Stars, as Julie mentioned. The Painter was the finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and won the prestigious Reading the West Book Award. And The Dog Stars has been published in 22 languages to date, at least the date of this printing. Keller is, the, is also the author of four nonfiction books, including Cook, Cook, What Surfing Taught Me About Love, Life, and Catching the Perfect Wave, which, by the way, sounds fantastic. A little bit of read a little bit about that one today, which was awarded the National Outdoor Book Award for Literature. He holds an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop in Poetry and Fiction and lives in Denver, Colorado. I assume you're coming to us from Denver right now. Yes, I am. How is it in Denver right now? It's smoky. Oh, your smoke is coming here. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. It's been rough. Rough summer for a lot of folks. For a lot of people. I'm, I'm traditionally, traditionally, I was born in the Pacific Northwest. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And just from Portland to Spokane and all my family, they're, they're, it's just crazy. We've never had that kind of heat up there. And then the fires and, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. Okay. Yeah, well, but yeah, go ahead. We, we could, but that wouldn't be as exciting <laughs> as talking about Jack, the guide. So one of the things I wanted to start out with, and we'll talk more about the river and the guide, is, you know, when I first read about them not having to wear masks in this story, it was this is the first book where the real world of COVID has seeped into fiction. So my question for you is, how long did it take to write this book? Was that something that you added in later? Or did, when did you start writing this book? Yeah, I started writing it smack in the middle of COVID. And um, did, okay. Yeah, and I actually I got COVID in last November. And uh, oh, I was I'm sorry. writing the book then. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was all right. But um, I always start with the first line. You know, I came up as a poet and uh, mm -hmm. a lot more mm -hmm. interested in music and the language than... Uh, story or plot. And so uh, it's sort of an odd method, but I start with a line whose sound I love and I kind of follow the music of the language into the story, just kind of trust that it's going to bump me into whatever I'm really, you know, concerned about. And um, so I began this, uh, I think the first line was something about, you know, he dropped his he, they gave him a bunk in a cabin by the river and then it was Jack dropped his pack on the porch. I'm going to read it. Yeah. Maybe or do you like, want to read it? Yeah. I'll read it. My, well, heck, I've got the book right here. Yeah, if you have it, yeah, read it. Read it. <laughs> <It's> always, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> hey, they gave him a bunk in a cabin by the river, a wooded canyon, spruce and pine with rim rock up high and rock spurs that tumbled to the water. Jack dropped his pack on the porch. So I was, I was excited because um, there was a porch and I'm a sucker for a good porch. Always love a porch, especially if it's looking over water. Mm -hmm. And there was Jack and I was so glad to see him. I mean, I, I've been, mm. you know, uh, the last book, The River, he was a protagonist and mm -hmm. I'd left him kind of brokenhearted and yeah. alone. I mean, he had to return to his ranch. He's a, he's a ranch kid from Western Colorado spent half his life in the saddle. And I left him going back to the ranch that uh, he, he runs with his old man, who's uh, 
I guess pop recalcitrant pop. Yeah, he's a he's taciturn, <laughs> very self-contained. So I was a little worried about Jack. So I was glad to see him. And then apparently, you know, he had this job as a fly fishing guide, and I thought, you know, that'll be good for you. Good. You know, little did I know, <laughs> but COVID sort of came up. Um, you know, I'd say uh, you know a quarter of the way through the book. And then I went back in and I had him, you know, go ahead and put the mask on in the first couple of pages just to make it work. Yeah. Well, it was great. I was like, wow, here it is. Yeah, it's part of our reality. I want to take a couple steps back. So when you wrote that first line, which, by the way, I love a good porch. I love the mountains. I love water streams. I mean, to me, I was just sucked in immediately. I'm like, I can't wait. This book is going to be fantastic. And it, it is It's so poetic and so beautifully written. And like your choice of words and the way you bring me into a story just is awesome. Thank you so much. But my question is, so when you wrote that line, were you surprised to see Jack? Was that just a line you were messing with? And then all of a sudden Jack was there? Or did you know you were going to write a story about Jack? No, I, I didn't know. And uh, Wow, really that is so cool. And you know, the odd thing about fiction is that these characters, at least for me, live in my heart like, you know, people that I, that I know and that are like old yeah. friends. And uh, yeah. Jasper from the Dog Stars, I feel like this is a dog that I had and that I still grieve. And I mean, that's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But, but, but neat too. So, so there's an origin story about this. that's kind of fun, but uh, so, so there was Jack in the porch. And then I, then I did think about something that an author had told me a few years before. I, a, a few years ago, I was at a writer's festival outside of Palm Springs and it's a, it's a kind of a fancy resort and um, uh, multi-day writers festivals, uh, just to sort of keep myself grounded. I like to get up really early, get a cup of coffee and do a couple of hours of work, um, before the day starts the mayhem, as you know, you're, you know, you organize these things. <laughs> and, um, so I did, I went out down early to the breakfast spot and, uh, the only author that was there was Lee child. And so we had breakfast together and started talking about method and I said, yeah, you know, I, I just like to start with the first line and let it rip. And I have no clue. And he said, yeah, yeah, me too. And I, oh, my gosh. Like, Are you kidding? I mean, these Jack, have you read these Jack Reacher novels? I mean, you know, they're so tightly plotted. They seem to be. They're yeah. fast paced. And he said, yeah, man, I just I just uh, throw everything I can think of against the wall. Have no idea. Dead bodies, you know lurking, menacing figures, car accidents, you know, whatever occurs to me that's fun. I throw it up against the wall in the first half. Second half, I just mirror all of that. I tie up all the loose threads and whatever doesn't tie up is a red herring and, I, and I'm good. Oh my and God. <laughs> I, I burst out laughing and I said, just like you did. I said, man, you know, I've read whole books on writing novels, you know, Stephen King's book, John Gardner's book. Um, and mm -hmm. you just gave me a method in like two lines, you know, awesome, thanks. <laughs> have you seen this one how to write a mystery lee child i love it see he didn't have to write that book all he had to do was say <laughs> he couldn't have sold many copies if it had been the one line but yeah right so anyway, that's, that's very funny I, I hadn't seen that uh anyway so i here i was and i thought you know every book i've written has had a has had a different method slightly you know dog stars was written kind of a white heat um painter mm -hmm. sort of loosely blocked the head and, and and then let it run so anyway i thought i'd try it and so with jack you know here he is a fishing god his first clients allison k rich and famous use a lot of initials at this place uh he goes to scout the the, the mile and a half of river and i threw in a a camera on the fisherman's bridge. I threw in a post with don't get shot past this post. I threw in do mauling dogs, anything I could think of. I just piled it on. But what really fascinated me was that, that an author could do this. And at the time they, these, these events and details must seem random. Uh, since mm. But if it's all going to work out at the end, that suggests that there's a lot of work going on when you're asleep, you know? And I, I thought that was pretty neat. I totally agree with you. Like when I'm writing, sometimes I'll be like, wow, how did that work out? Like these things just sort of like, almost like I planned it. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there is a certain amount of like your subconscious, you know, pulling, clearly for you, pulling 
who you are in your life. I mean, I fell in love with Jack immediately. I, I got to ask you a question. Hmm. Have you ever heard of Dutton above the, on the Dolores River? I've paddled the Dolores. I, I went a few years ago and, my, and I, we paddled early spring and my friend uh, spread the ashes of his old man, which was very, oh. uh, mm. it's a beautiful run. I don't know, Dutton, I'm, I don't know. Well, Dutton is exactly what you describe in the guide. There is a private fishing place that has little cabins right on the river. It's all fly fishing, super private, and they're buying up the whole mountain. And it's really becoming this sort of billionaire's mile. Rich, famous people go there. And so my friend, her grandfather had property there way back in the day, and she, her, her family cabin is there. And every fall, we go fly fishing on the Dolores right next to Dutton. So this book, I was, I, I was just freaking out as I was reading it. I was like, I feel like I'm on the Dolores. I'm at Dutton, or at least outside of it, looking in. And it was just so cool. Obviously, this is based on a place in Colorado. There's clearly a lot of these places. There's, I wonder. There's nothing in this book that resembles any character, living or dead, any any place that's real. <laughs> it's an amalgam of all oh, of those places. Boilerplate, of course it is. I mean, you know, this is a this the so this lodge that Jack goes to to work at is a super luxury. I mean, this is you know five star plus. Mm -hmm. uh, for the very rich. Um, and, you know, as I said, like the rich and famous there, they use a lot of initials. He, it, he thinks that Alison Kay, his first client is probably a famous country singer, but he's not sure. Um, mm -hmm. There's a, there's a lovely scene that just kind of, um, you know, unfurled itself in which she's humming as yeah. she was unconsciously and she's sort of singing and then, and he, and he hears the voice and he's like, Oh, that's who <laughs> I know who that is. I love that scene. Yeah. I love Allison's character. She's so fabulous. She's like this very feminine, but like very independent. She's this fly fisher. She loves the outdoors. She speaks her mind. Like she's so cool. Who, yeah, where did she, she come is. from? I don't, I don't really know. I mean, um, you know, people always, of course, are asking, is this Alison Krauss, you know, and, and um, of, of course it isn't because I don't know anything about Alison Krauss, except that I absolutely yeah. adore her music. But if I was yeah. going to imagine how Alison Krauss was, you know, she'd probably be a little bit like Alison Kay. I don't know. Uh, Alison Kay is, she grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. Her father taught her to hunt. Uh, she went mm -hmm. fishing early. Uh, you know, she knows her way around uh, the mountains and and she doesn't take any BS from anybody. And no shit from anyone. <laughs> yeah, and there's a line there where, you know, things get kind of intense at this place because there is something, yeah. you know, pretty creepy going it on. It is a thriller after all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sinister stuff. And at one point, I think Jack says, you know, um, you know, you should leave. You know, you should take the flight out this afternoon and, and, and get out of here. And what was the line? She says something like, no, I, I want to see how this unfolds. I like right? to know what all the mystics, she said, I'd like to know what the mystics and artists and creeps are doing all around me. Something like that. Oh, Some yeah, line like yeah. that. Yeah. I wish I knew where it was. an insight into her mind. Like, you know, she's just mm -hmm. so curious about everything and she's not a quitter, you know, which, um, mm -hmm. thank goodness. Well, yeah. I love that, like, the, energy between these two right. you know just like the energy when they touch and they bump up against each other like it was so fun to watch that relationship kind of burgeoning and we don't know like are they are they going to have a relationship it seems really unlikely but yet they seem so perfect for each other and that was a really fun part of the book yeah it was such a delight so you know as i said i just you know i i so i came up as a kayaker right i spent half my life running rivers. And one thing I love about that is you, you put on the current and if you're running a river that's you've never run before or has never been described, you know, you come around a type man in a, in a canyon and you don't know what's going to be there. It could be a cougar drinking or a waterfall or a flight of swallows or, you know, mm. five guys with weapons who don't want you there, you know, which has happened. But, 
right. you know, I love the thrill and the surprise of that. And I sort of wanted that in my fiction when I started writing fiction. You know, in John Gardner's book about writing novels, he says, you know, write an outline and then just keep filling it in with smaller and smaller A's, B's, C's, ones, two, three, until you have a book. And I thought, man, you know, if I was going to do that, I could have been a lawyer. You know, I'd make a lot more steady money, right? <laughs> but so I like the surprise of it. And um, so when Jack gets up that first morning and goes down for an early cup of coffee and she's there and they start talking and he's got this sort of, Jack has this ranch kids reserve, this sort of tact, this deference. Mm-hmm. And, but right away he senses from her this very wry grounded sense of humor. And she gets that from him too. And I, I was so delighted when I wrote their first real conversation, I was beside myself. I was like, these guys are going to become such good friends. I just have this feeling. That is so cool. Yeah. I love hearing you talk like that. It well, makes think, me feel so happy. <laughs> well, I think, I think she says something like, uh, he says, she says, Jack, right? When she brings his, co- he brings his coffee over to the hearth, which is, you know, big roaring fire. And, she says, Jack, right? Not Jonathan or Johnny. And he says, no, nah, my parents were too wary. She looks mm-hmm. and says, and he's, he just looks like a ranch kid, you know? And, and she says, wary? And he said, yeah, of diminutives, I guess. If I'd have, <laughs> yeah. if I'd have been called, you know, Johnny, they would have had a conniption. <laughs> and, and she reassesses him right away. And she said, no, I wasn't so lucky. My parents called me, I mean, my my schoolmates called me Abby and he looks at her and he goes, life is tough. And right away, you know, they're friends, you know, it's pretty, it was was fun. (laughs) I love that. I I loved how, you know, for me, Jack came through, you know, he was, he's this, this rancher time in the saddle, which you mentioned, you know, he's a fisher, he's a kayaker, but he also went to Dartmouth. And, you know, one of my favorite parts is when he's talking to that Japanese couple Mm. and and all of a sudden there's this moment where he doesn't want to flex. He's talking, Basho, is it Basho? Yeah. Basho, the poet, um, yeah. narrow road to the deep north. And all of a sudden there's this connection and they realize this is a person of substance. But he's like thinking the same thing. Oh, these people are, these are people of substance. Talk to me a little bit about Basho and your, uh, how you were inspired to include that as part of Jack's narrative. Uh it just, you know, it just came up, but I've loved, Basho is the most famous haiku poet of, uh, in Japan. And, hi, yeah, haiku, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Tanka. And um, so, you know, I lo- I've loved that poetry all my life. And also, you know, the, the Tang Dynasty, ancient Chinese poetry of the 8th and ninth centuries, which I included some of in, mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Jack is reading this book, The Orchard by Li Shui. Um, who I made up, who's a fic- who's fictional, and actually there's a whole oh. the whole book about her called The Orchard, which I published last year. People can get it on ebook uh, or audio. Okay, that's so cool because I was going to look that up and I didn't know that connection. That's awesome. Yeah, so I had so I had written and there's a bunch of Leishway's poems in The Orchard, uh, but anyway, uh, she's made up. But um, yeah, I just um, you know. Basho is a poet who is um, deeply connected to nature, as as are his predecessors in the Tang Dynasty, and uh, he keeps it simple, uh, but he, uh, in three lines, can put you knee deep in a in a mountain stream with uh, shredding mist, and then break your heart and crack your universe open. Mm. And and so, of course, Jack relates to him because Jack is you know he's he keeps it as simple as he can. He's connected to nature. Um, yeah. He engages beauty in much the same way, and uh, so I felt like they would, you know, have a certain, uh, you know, that he he would definitely have a love of this kind of poetry, and so it was fun to have this Japanese uh, fishing couple come. And they're obviously very well off. Um, it seems like they've probably fished around the world. Um, they are um, extremely. Um, you know, they're self-contained and uh, tactful the way Jack is, um, but from another part of the, you know, another across the ocean. And I, and I love the fact that they shared this love of the same poetry and sort of used it to measure each other. It was sort of like a, sp- yes. a sparring match and Allison yeah. was watching, you know, like, so, yeah, like a tennis match, you know, and, um, and then they, and then the very, 
polite and tactful. Um, uh, oh, shoot. There's Teji and there's Yumi, right? Yumi, uh, yeah. Yumi turns Teji and Yumi. To, Yumi turns to Alice and said, well, um, are, you know, are you familiar with Basho? And she's so earthy and down to earth. And she says, oh, you know, I think so just a little, you know, my, my neighbor has one of the haiku, you know, engraved in this, in a stone step or something like that. The one about the frog and, and the pond. <laughs> and of course, you know, that she's read it all, you know, and that's, that's what I love about her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is another thing that just brings Allison and Jack together. Right. You're just like, Oh my gosh. But it's, it's, it feels so like subtle and, and perfect. You know, nothing feels forced. I think that's what's so beautiful about your writing is it does feel a little like nature. Um, it reminds me of what's it, uh, Wabi, Wabi Sabi, you know, moving with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, your writing does that. You definitely move with nature and everything feels like it's, this is where it was meant to go, even though it's a thriller and I don't know what's gonna happen. Like the <laughs> characters move in such a way that is, is very like water. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. I, I really, since the book is all about water, I appreciate that. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah. I want to ask you about the coffee mugs. I loved how Jack got to pick out people from a crowd and decide what they were going to be like based on the coffee mug they chose. Talk to us about that. Well, I love coffee mugs. I mean, I will never have two of the same in my house. <laughs> and uh, many of them have animals on them. And um and it just occurred to me, like, you know, I have a friend who's, uh, you know, sort of a redneck and he comes over for coffee in Denver and and he always picks the grizzly bear mug from Yellowstone. No, it's actually from, from Alaska. And then, okay. uh, you know, I have another friend who's, um, you know, a little bit of a goofball and uh, she always picks the blue footed booby mug from uh, Galapagos. <laughs> And it occurred to me that, you know, these people are sort of branding themselves, you know. With, totally. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I use yeah. that in, the, in this scene where Jack is sort of surmising, you know, what mug is this guy, this rich yeah. a-hole going to pick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They fit so perfectly. What a great tool. I absolutely loved it. Um, so much great stuff to talk about in this book. And the fact that, you know, it's sort of unfolding for you in an exciting way, too. I want to take a step back, though. (laughs) I'm going to save that question for later. I understand you're a world-class pizza delivery person, or at least you have been on your resume. Can you you tell us more about that? Oh, yeah. So I got to Boulder, Colorado uh, when I was 20. And you're from New York? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I grew up in New York City. Then I then I went away to school. My cousins lived in Putney, Vermont. I asked if my parents um, <laughs> politely if they could send me the heck out of New York City. And, uh, so I so when I was fifteen, I moved out of the city. I lived in Vermont. Uh, I really became a, a country boy pretty fast. Um, you know, mm. I, cut all, I cut all my own firewood. Uh, you know, probably from the time I was sixteen, I always had wood stoves. Um, you know, I started hunting pretty early. Uh, and um, in any event, um, uh, oh, shoot, I lost this. What was the question? I just lost myself. Pizza. Pizza, Twitter. you're world class. Yeah, okay, so, okay. Pizza delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I really took a step out and left the imagine, This is what a fiction writer does. I was just imagining the hills of Southern Vermont. I was transported and I totally lost You're question. like, I got to go write this down. I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so... Um, Anyway, I got to Colorado and, uh, you know, in, I learned to kayak in New England, in Vermont, New Hampshire, and, and the water is good then. The rivers come up in early April when there's ice in the water, snow on the banks, and it's, it's miserable. Um, it's awful. Yeah, it's awful, <laughs> but beautiful. When I got to Colorado um, during a summer of college uh, to, to paddle with some friends, you know, the, it was 90 degrees, there was big water. There was elk in the fields. There were snow-capped mountains. And I, it was just like, a, I couldn't even believe it. It was, you know, your stuff dries in five minutes instead of like stuffing your frozen socks against the defrost. And uh, I just loved it. And I, you know, it was a no brainer for me to, to, to make a beeline to Colorado after college. So, mm. so um, I did. And I was sharing a house in Boulder with a, a dear friend and um, he was training for the, um, 
84 Olympics. He was a ski jumper, my buddy Landis. And he said, come on out. I got a, I got a house with a cheap room. And so I did. And I was writing poetry in my room uh, during the day and paddling whenever I could pretty crazy stuff and delivering pizza in the evening. And uh, I loved the job. I, 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 I took it like a, like an Olympic sport. I mean, you know, <laughs> how fast I could get there, you know, like, could I get, could I get to this address in 17 minutes and, you know, stop signs meant nothing, you know, and um, red lights were suggestions. I mean, why would you stop at red light if you can for half a mile down either side of the street, there's nobody coming. I mean, yes, that's <laughs> so anyway, uh, I had a gas and, um, and then, yeah. And then one buddy uh, that I skied with every week, he got me a free ticket. He was a ski instructor and he, he'd get me a free ticket on Mondays and, he said, you know, you should write for outside, you know, you combine mm. interest. you're spending all day in your room writing poetry and you're kayaking this crazy stuff. Why don't you? So I cold called them and said, you guys should send me to Tibet. And they did. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That is incredible. Well, it wasn't quite well, like that. I mean, okay. I, 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 I got a magazine. <laughs> I looked on the masthead for the name of an editor that sounded nice, right? Different mm-hmm. names. Mm-hmm. Laura Hanhold sounded really nice. So I called the 800 number. I said, Laura, Han-. I said, Laura Hanhold, please. Just a minute. I was like, oh, oh Laura yeah. here. I was like, oh, crap. I started talking really fast. Said, hey, I had a story published in Harper's, which is sort of true. It was a tiny little reprint of a college story up in the reading section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a class five kayaker, and you guys should send me on this expedition to run on the edge of the Tibetan plateau. And to run this river that's never been run. And, and she said, you know, we've heard about this expedition. We don't have a writer that can kayak class five. I'm going to take a chance on you. I'll pay half your expenses. If you write a good story, I'll pay the other half by the story. Oh, you know, so wow. I was because I needed a new paddle. Mine was all duct taped together. You know, I was like, okay. Uh, and I went and that was my first assignment. And a guy died on the first day in my arms, mm-hmm. in a log jam. Oh and it was, my God. It was really traumatic. And, uh, but that's how strange way to start in, you know, professional writing, but that's how it started. Yeah. Is, is that part of where the river, the, the, the book came from? Did the impetus for the river come from that trip? No, the river came, that was, that was another interesting story. You know, that was a third date with my then, you know, somebody I was just dating wasn't even really my girlfriend. I, uh, I thought she was really cool. I, uh, on the third date, she, um, in Denver, uh, said, let me drop my gym bag. It's kind of valuable. I want to, let's drop it off at your house before we go to dinner. And I, and we did, and I picked it up. It was really heavy. I said, what's in this? And she said, weaponry. And she unzipped cool. it and they were, uh, <laughs> Short swords, throwing stars, daggers, all this stuff. She's training, training to be a ninja, you know? And I thought huh. at dinner, I was kind of, we were talking, I was kind of watching her and I said, you know, I thought to myself, this girl's pretty tough. I mean, she could, she could protect me. Um, so I invited her on this assignment that I had to canoe the Winnesk River, which is the river in the river. And mm. uh, so that was, now we're married. <laughs> Even though she filled up the canoe with fossils and rocks and we lost all our freeboard. <laughs> She's your current wife? My one and only ever wife. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah. I want a book about her. But anyway, go on. So, well, anyway, so uh, that is the river in the river. And, um, and then there's other things that inform the river. Like, a, I, you know, I almost got uh, overcome by a forest fire once. So, Oh, wow. You've lived a really incredible life. I think I, I get the feeling that you're the kind of person that is like water. You, you open yourself to whatever seems to be like, okay, I'm going to go this way. Like the, the path of least resistance that's like, just seems like a good direction to move in or you like to move... It's the it's and I do this in the writing too because if you're gonna if you're gonna write with this method where you just follow the language I always just go to where the energy is and where mm-hmm. my curiosity sometimes it's not the path of least resistance I mean you know if you're gonna commit yourself to a class five expedition on some river in another continent that's never been run that's and, all resistance if you yeah, ask I mean, me it's, you know you have to get out you know I it, I'm scared you know I'm like frightened before I go and I'm thinking gosh I hope I come back from this and. You know, you have to train hard and that's painful. And it's the same thing with writing. Um, but, you know, I go where the curiosity is and where the energy is. So you do. And as I'm writing along, I can feel, you know, it's like, it's like I can feel if I take this diverge, if I take this path 
I can feel the energy dropping and I know mm. that I'm going to write myself into a cul-de-sac. So I kind of edge the horse over and let, let's go on this path. We got to go this way. That yeah. makes, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. When you wrote the guide, were you thinking about access to nature, you know, accessibility just for humans in general, you know? Yeah. Whole- um, yeah. That is an issue. I mean, I have fished private water before. I mean, you know, I got assignments to fancy fishing lodges and I found that I didn't love it so much. Um, mm. For one, the anticipatory service at a five-star lodge is kind of weird. I mean, you know, I'd head down and decide, okay, I'm going to go try the sauna. It looks over the river. It looks really nice. Um, and halfway down the path, someone's, someone meets me with a pile of towels, you know, and it's it's kind of creepy. It's like, well, how did they know? You know, um, mm, I love that. I, waiting. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. And then I find, you know, that um, I'm really happiest on my little mountain creek in Colorado. You know, we have a little, I have a little cabin in the mountains and um, 25 minutes away is a mountain creek that I've fished in every season, every time of day. Mm. And I was heartbroken when I, my first book got published when I was jubilant. And it's a touchstone and it's a wooded canyon and it, the, creek drops away from the road you're all by yourself there might be an elk crossing you might look up in the evening and there's an elk standing there you know 100 yards above you and I just love it and um, no five-star lodge or private water can match that and I, I and I don't think I don't think fishing water should be private I mean it's, yeah. I don't think it's right it's just like nat- the, you know national seashores none of that no beaches should be private Agreed. So, um, yeah. so I think I was writing a little bit about that too yeah, I, I wondered. I wonder if you were thinking about that. And I, and I get the sense, I mean, how connected you are to the natural world. Also, your, the, the work you've done with Outside and, you know, a lot of your nonfiction, obviously, you know, you care about the natural world. And I think that's part of it, giving access to, to everyone so everyone can appreciate. Because how can we protect this planet if we don't appreciate her? And we don't appreciate her if we don't have access to her, right? That is very, very true. And I think... I hope, you know, that people who read my books that, you know, maybe they have never really been, you know, hiking or fishing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it will inspire them because that's the only chance our planet has, right? As you said. Yeah. It's us. <laughs> How ironic is that, right? Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about something because it's, it's close to my heart. It's another departure. And then we're going to go back to Jack. The Cove. I, I saw that movie many years ago. I and mean, people probably all, always ask you this, but... I am so impressed that you went in there and were part of the crew that did the footage. I want to know, what were you thinking? And just to kind of give people an idea of the Cove, do you want to just give us just a little brief synopsis of what that documentary was, yeah. was about and why? Well, so I had, I had written a book about Sea Shepherd. I had gone with Sea Shepherd to Antarctica on one of their eco-pirate ships, the all-black ship that flies under Jolly Rogers and, you know, yeah. ran- the Japanese whaling fleet and all that. So I'd written that. Yeah. The guys who were making that were in the middle of making the cove read it and they invited me to come with them um, to the, you know, the infamous cove in Taiji, Japan, where mm-hmm. uh, the fishing boats uh, corral pods of dolphins into this very tight inlet. And then they, then they net it off and then they slaughter the whole pod. And they, and it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's a horrible way to kill anything, but, you know, especially a self-aware uh, dolphin yeah. or small cetacean. I mean, they spike them to death uh, behind the blowhole, and there's a lot of you know they gush blood and they scream, and the other the other members of the pod know everything that's going on, and they know they're they're next. I mean, the whole thing is just like like horrific. And yeah. um, this cove is guarded. It had armed guards. It had barbed wire, uh, razor wire. We went in uh, at night and planted cameras. We, we threw uh, rugs over the razor wire and went in, um, planted um, cameras that looked like rocks and, 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 and bird's nests around the cove. I mean, this had never been filmed or witnessed. And the, you know, the fishermen who did this, they knew that if this footage ever got out, you know, it would probably, the, the outcry would be so bad, you know, so they really protected it. And then I was up on this, um, cliff in with camo on and face paint with the director Luis uh, Sahoyos and um, one of the one of the filmmakers James and uh, I we got we heard the radio there and it was dark and it was the light was just coming up and they said you know they're they're killing they're starting to kill you know go down run down so I ran down 
got in a wetsuit and paddled out with five, uh, four other surfers. And we uh, paddled right out into the cove. And by the time we got there, by daylight, it was already slick uh, red with like paint red with blood, the whole cove. And there was, uh, you know, they were killing and there was 12 little pilot whales, dolphin, basically dolphins up against the nets. And um, they, they triple netted it. So you couldn't just cut a net, you know, I mean, it wouldn't have done anything because there were two more. And, um, you know, these, they were panicked and freaked and we formed this um, surfer circle and we just prayed for them and for like the original surfers. And, you know, when they realized we weren't a threat, they sort of calmed down a little bit and the little baby like spy hopped and looked at us. And I was just, I just had tears, you know, and I got back from that and I knew all those 12 would be killed in the next hour. And, um, you know, I got back from that. It was an assignment for men's journal. I remember. And, Oh, I had a, they had put a GoPro on my head and I had filmed uh, the part of the movie, which won an Academy Award where the fishermen attack the surfers uh, with these long poles. Um, that was the footage that was on my little helmet cam. And um, mm -hmm. I got home and, you know, I would for like weeks, you know, my wife would go to sleep beside me and I, I would just, I would just cry. I mean, it was like, it was like the worst thing I'd ever seen or could imagine. And uh, I realized then, you know, that, I had a responsibility. I mean, that those little pilot whales um, were, were trying to communicate with us. I mean, they were communicating with us. And, and, and it was like, I had this responsibility somehow to speak for the ones that didn't have a voice, you know, in our world. And um, it was profound for me. I bet. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sorry to bring you back there. I was just so oh. like, Wow. Like I read your book and then I read about you and I was like, man, this, this man is incredible. Like the things you've done and the places you go and the situations you put yourself in um, are incredibly impressive. I, I also feel like, you know, your books, a, a piece of you, you know, it has a message for Mother Earth and, and, and the goodness in people, even though we're talking about murder and it's a thriller and like there's crazy stuff happening. Like there's this piece of it that's really about the goodness in humans too and, and what we can do to be better people and better servants, I think. What is next for Jack? Well, go ahead. If you want to comment on that, please do. Well, yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a, there's a line in there where um, Jack asks Marilyn Robinson, he remembers asking Marilyn Robinson, the wonderful novelist, because she taught at Dartmouth where he was and um, asked her, what is evil? And she says, impediment to being. And mm -hmm. when I was at Iowa, she was my teacher and we became friends. And I, I was in her backyard drinking. I, <laughs> and I asked her, what is evil, do you think? Because I knew she wrote a lot about religion and metaphysics. And, uh, and she said, impediment to being. And I've thought about it ever since. And I, you know, just to speak to your point about humans, um, I think what's going on in this novel and in the world now with uh, the sixth great mass extinction and climate change and all that is I think that impediment to being means subverting the natural order. And, and that's what evil is. And I think that, you know, in this book, people are trying to subvert the natural order. I think in the world right now, um, we are subverting the natural order and um, it's wrong. And um, yeah. I think that the chance that we have is that, you know, human beings have this incredible capacity for grace, for, for redemption and for waking up and then, and taking care of each other and, and others. And um, so I'm banking on that, you know, I mean, we have to, right. I think sometimes, you know, fictional characters have more of an opportunity to change the way people think, not just about themselves, but about our world and the way they treat it even more so than nonfiction because we become, become so emotionally invested in these characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's why we write, right? I mean, I, I write because it's the only thing I know how to do and, and drink coffee. <laughs> Take do you drink out of the same coffee mug? Yeah, I have. Every I, time? Well, I usually get a new mug for every book. Oh. Um, oh. So the mug that I'm drinking out of now has a bunch of, I got in Mexico surfing this, this year and it has a bunch of palm trees and it's, you know, hand glazed. And I think the one before for the river was, um, uh, Oh, that was another surfing mug. Interesting. Huh. Huh. 
I want to book set in the tropics. <laughs> we need to see a picture of like the cover and then the mug associated <laughs> with the cover and put those on your website so we can go be inspired by your coffee mugs. That's funny. Are you Jack? Jack you. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, when the dog stars came out, I got questions whenever I read people would say, are you Hig? And I would say, well, Hig is six two and he can cook. So, you know, clearly I'm not Hig. <laughs> but um, do you relate to Jack? Like, I'm not Jack, but uh, but his wariness of people, his the way he engages with uh, his reading poetry with um, with beauty, uh, the things he values uh, in people, the loyalty, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think uh, I relate to very strongly, and so you know, when I say it at the beginning I, that I was worried about him, I wasn't being flip. I mean, I really. You know, he's very. I feel very close to Jack. Um, not mm -hmm. not that he's me, but I but I really relate. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if, like, subconsciously, you have been carrying that around, like knowing that he needed some resolution. I mean, as readers of the yeah, river, yeah, yeah, yeah. we need a resolution. Yeah. Is is there more for Jack? You know, if he shows up, you know, as I said, you know, I just you know I sit and I just sort of listen for that first line and. Um, you know, if he shows up again and wants to speak, of course. Of course. Mm. It's really not up to you, is it? I just will leave it up to Jack. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we're running out of time, and Julie's probably going to join us. Hi, That's Julie. That's me. <laughs> Hello. I'm back. I want to ask Peter one more question. Sure. Go ahead. Peter, do you have a favorite director? Mm. Oh, interesting question. Wow. Um, might be John Houston. <laughs> I love old Westerns. <laughs> love it. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Thank so, you so much. Yes. Thank you oh, so boy. much. This conversation was, I, I was sitting here because usually, I mean, I don't want to say the spoil to other authors, but most of the time I'm in the background doing other things. I was riveted to this screen. <laughs> Peter, I adore <laughs> you. Uh, your writing fills me up. This conversation was amazing. So good. So, thank you. Uh, yeah. um, I loved it. Thank you. We, we do have a couple questions coming in. Um, and I think I know the answer to this one, at least from my perspective. But do you think people need to read The River before they read The Guy? Uh, I don't know. So. I don't. But, but let me say first, I mean, are we if we're ending the conversation with Jennifer, I just want to say that was really fun. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed oh. the conversation. Oh, no, she's going to stay with us. Okay, <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Oh, yeah. I think you're fabulous. I, I just want to go fly fishing or <laughs> not kayaking, but climbing. Well, before, before we get to the rock river climbing. Thing, Jennifer, I was going to ask you, are you are you is your friends on the whatever? What was the what was the, the place that you go fly fishing? Um, oh my gosh! Friends? Yeah, we go to Dutton. No, Dutton uh, is your friends the crew the crooters? <laughs> or however you say. Oh 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 oh, Kruitzer. 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 Is that Kruitzers? <laughs> no, the like, Howworths. Yeah, the Howworths. They're, the yeah. they're not the they're not the ones in that. <laughs> they're not, they're the not those. No. They're not the bad guys. <laughs> they're not. The, they're definitely the good guys. In fact, my friend is a lot like Allison, like that kind of a badass woman. She's an entomologist, actually, Love and it. just a badass of a lady. Like, if, Love it. if I were to see the in real, like, real Allison, it would be my friend who lives up in or has a place up in Colorado and fly. I was just teasing. I was just. Like, I know you were, but <laughs> by the way, I want to answer your question. The way you were describing where they were at, I was just like, oh well, they got they're the neighbors. They're, they're, the they're the neighbors. They're the neighbors. But anyways, I did back not to the, yeah, read the river. Yeah, and I don't think you need to either. I've read, but I'm going to go time. back and I'm going to read it. I can't wait to read it. But I read this one first, and so and it's amazing. And I'm always so impressed when a writer can take can write the second book and the first one. You don't even know there was a first one, but I started to get the sense. So I'm excited to read it. So that's how you feel about it, too, Peter, is that it's like you. Oh really yeah, yeah, no, no, of course, no. I would never write a book that you had to, you know, force you to read another one. It's not fair. <laughs> You're more kind. Yeah, I love it. That's the kinder, gentler part of you, right? It's just like that's the thing. Okay, so Serena is asking, and you you alluded to your first like big assignment thing, but she was wanting to know: was there an event in your life that inspired you to become a writer? Um, my dad used to read to me every night before I went to sleep. 
Um, the, the other day in an interview, I said, he put me to sleep. <laughs> that's, that's not what, that what you do when you get. But, um, and he read a lot of poetry to me. You know, he was reading E.E. E. Cummings to me when I was like six. And thank God I didn't understand cool. it because they're kind of body. But, um, but I love the sound of the language. And um, so I wanted to be a poet uh, starting when I was like six or seven. And then um, I was in my little library in Brooklyn Heights. And um, the librarian, Annie Bosworth, was English. And I was 11 and I had a crush on her. And I would have married her that day. Uh, for the way she just said my name, she said, Pita, are looking for something to read? And I was like, uh-huh, thump, 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 thump. And um, she took me over to the fiction shelf, pulled off In Our Time. She'd been following my reading since I was five. And um, she pulled off In Our Time by Hemingway. And I read those that slim book of short stories, mostly about Nick Adams up in Michigan. And I was just, my jaw just dropped. It's like, I want to do this. I mean, I want to carry a rucksack up like Nick up through the, the woods of the Upper Peninsula and fish for those big trout on the big two-hearted river and make camp and not burn my tongue on the coffee. And I wanted like, <laughs> like in the end of something, that beautiful breakup story, I wanted to have a girlfriend that could, that could row and fish like a man and that I could, I could break up with her like Nick did, <laughs> you know, and, but mostly what I wanted after reading that book, it was the first time I'd experienced prose that went like through my skin, straight to my heart. It kind of bypassed the head, you know, mm. and um, you know, whatever people think of Hemingway now, I mean, he's a problematic figure, but the, but the, but the cadence of it and the clarity of it, it went straight into my heart. And I was like, okay, I want to do that. I want to do that too. And so I think- And you do, because your writing does exactly that. Every time I open up one of your books, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's like this just calm comes over and this, you just get totally. into this like, oh, we're here. We're at, you know, yeah. you just have that ability to just, it does the same thing. So well said. Thanks. Um, okay, yeah. so Katie, um, hi Katie, I can't believe you're here with us. Thank you. This is it's Katie Loss. <laughs> it's Katie Loss. <laughs> hi Katie, thanks for the book. Sorry to miss you in Denver. Greatest, greatest mega fan reader ever. She's awesome. Yeah, she is. She. I was telling Peter earlier, Katie, we were talking about you. Your ears must have been burning a little bit. Um, that you are an author's dream and a bookstore's dream, and you are the best supporter of all of us. So thank you, Katie. Um, and I did put um, Peter in the chat, the ebook, Kobo ebook version of The Orchard. So her comment and question is, is that it's so different than your others. Can you talk about it a bit? And then she wants to know, can you convince Knopf to publish it in hardcover? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so the, the Orchard... Um, so I started with a first line and it happened to be first person, um, eight-year-old girl, POV. And that was interesting and different. <laughs> the Orchard is about a legendary translator um, of Tang Dynasty poetry, particularly the work of this woman, Li Shui, from the 8th century. This legendary translator, Haley Cormier, is in her mid-30s, and she moves from Denver, Colorado, to a defunct orchard in southern Vermont with her little daughter, Frith, who's eight. And she's, in a way, recapitulating the same self-exile that Li Shui took uh, from the court uh, into the mountains uh, when she had her little daughter. And um, the book is, a, is just about... Uh, this little girl Frith and her mom and Rosie, their best friend and their dog bear. And it's very quiet and I just love it. And it's um, mm. full of the poetry. You know, it's got a bunch of the poems in translation of Li Shui, who, as I said, you know, I, I made up. So I had to um, somehow um, recreate classical um, Tang dynasty poems. And it was so, it was so cool. lovely. You know, I was reading at Crested Butte, um, which is, pretty much where this current book takes place, right? It's up in the mountains. It's a beautiful town. They have this library that's all made out of stone. It's a rock library, old building. It's, it's beautiful. And upstairs is where you do the readings. It was packed house. I was reading the river. And then at the end, someone asked what I was working on. I told them that I just finished the orchard. What, what, what was it about? A woman came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I am a translator of Tang Dynasty poetry. That's what I do. And I was like, of course, wow, you know, and I said, can I send you the manuscript? 
And I did. And she wrote me back and said, you know, these poems are absolutely wonderful. And they, and they, they work, they pass as, as classical. And, and I was, I was just so proud and so happy. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that. Um, and then we do, we're running out of time. We've taken up. I love it. But I have to end with one quick thing too. And Jennifer, maybe you know or don't know. And I don't, I'm Peter, I'm sorry. I'm not really familiar with your nonfiction writing, but when you said that you wrote a book called The Kook, you do know we have like the Cardiff Kook, which is a, a um, it's a statue that they built to, they were, they were um, supposed to up at Cardiff, one of the surf spots, one of the big surf spots that are, that's here in the North County. And it was supposed to be this like art installation thing that was supposed to like really honor surfing in the whole big. And the guy's like awful. It's this. <laughs> so they named him the Cardiff Coop, which I just think. I love it. I love that. <laughs> so the next time you're here, you'll get one of those words. So, so Kook is about a beginner surfer in that whole you know, progression. Right. Learning to surf. And, and, and Kook is usually, you know, uh, preceded by effing right exactly <laughs> you effing coot get the f out of the water before i effing kill you <laughs> <laughs> great you know oh this big surf spot and it's here in you know That's north great. county and it is That's just great. like the worst statues <laughs> you have to go by you have to drive by next time you're here yeah yeah i'll send him a picture yeah exactly all right, you two, this was fantastic. I put all of the links. Um, if you don't see the links, go to Warwick's. Um, I didn't even say where Warwick's was for anybody, but I'm assuming everybody that's here. We are in La Jolla, San Diego, California. I forgot to say that earlier. So um, we'd love to have you come in the store and pick up Peter's book, order it, whatever you need to do. Get this book. You will not be disappointed. When thank I, you so thank much. You. Wonderful. Thank you, Peter. Wonderful. Thanks. So great to be with you. you. When I close this out, um, we go away. We don't go back into a green room. So um, it is good night for all. So good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.